Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My guest on this week's episode had been a working actor for nearly two decades before he finally got the role he deserved. What's your dream wedding? I don't know. Okay, I'll go first. I would wear something really cute, you know, just <laughs> festive, but not like white or bridal because... No. You gotta keep him guessing. You gotta keep him guessing. <laughs> and I would walk down the aisle to the song Gloria by Laura Branigan. And of course, in my childhood, I dreamed that I would fly her in to sing it. But now, I have you. Oh, it's all. You can't touch Branigan. You can touch Branigan. No Barbara, no Judy, no Branigan. Come on. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Jeff Hiller with Bridget Everett on Somebody Somewhere. That gently hilarious and moving show just premiered its second season on HBO this past Sunday. And Jeff's performance as Joel is a big reason why it remains one of the most underrated comedy gems on TV. Before Somebody Somewhere, Jeff rose the ranks of the Upright Citizens Brigade and landed small guest spots on shows like 30 Rock, Community, and Broad City. But while he may have been vaguely recognizable to comedy fans, we really had no idea what he was capable of until he got the chance to show his full self on Somebody Somewhere. In this episode, Jeff explains that there was a time when he would have killed to play a stereotypical gay best friend and never could have imagined getting the chance to portray someone like Joel on HBO. Like Bridget Everett, who was a guest on this podcast just over a year ago when the first season of Somebody Somewhere came out, Jeff is a totally unique performer, and I'm so glad he's here with us today. Here's my conversation with Jeff Hiller. Are you in L.A.? I, I heard you're doing Kimmel tonight. I am. I'm in L.A. Yes, I'm at the, the Sunset Marquee. Oh, very nice. I'm told that this is where a lot of... <laughs> rock bands hang out it's yeah have you see, seen any rock stars wandering around yet no and i think that when i checked in they were like <laughs> please do not play loud music in your room and i was like well, okay, <laughs> well i guess <laughs> we're not the rock star place we used to be <laughs> yeah or i guess they've had some problems in the past <laughs> i guess they, they have a bona fide reason <laughs> Uh, so yeah, as, as we're talking, people will, this will have already happened, but, uh, yeah, you're making your, your late night TV debut on, uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live. Is that right? Yes. My debut. Yes. How, how are you feeling about that? Uh, um, I'm excited. I don't know. It hasn't happened yet. So maybe there'll be some sort of no notoriously flubbed thing that I did on the actual show. <laughs> 
But um, I doubt it. I yeah. doubt it. Or <laughs> I just like say the F word or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's pre-taped. They can figure that out. Yeah, you're right. Jimmy Kim Alive is not actually live, you know. <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird? I think yeah, it used it's a strange to be, right? name. And then I think people I think it both did. got it, drunk. Yeah. Yeah, they got too rowdy or they nobody wanted to stay up that late anymore. They figured out they could just keep the name, but but yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, that's very fun. Um well, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have you here because I'm such a fan of of somebody somewhere and your performance on it. Um and I just got to watch the the full second season um which I really enjoyed um so much and people uh when they hear this will uh, the first episode will be out so people will at least get to see that. Um but yeah, I kind of just wanted to start with with that show and how it happened because you know, I think you'd been working for for nearly 20 years uh as a working actor uh when you got that role um which i i feel like must must have been must be your your biggest role yet as joel on on somebody somewhere so what's the story behind getting that part um you're you're kind to say almost 20 years um <laughs> was it more yeah <laughs> well i guess when i got the pilot i guess when i got the pilot okay uh, it yeah. was just almost 20 years uh, yeah it's definitely the biggest role i've had i've been trying to be an actor. Well, I've been an actor for, for quite some time, but um, this is really the first time in my career where I've been able to just be an actor and not have to also, you know, teach improv and, uh, you know, immediately run to get on unemployment as soon as the play ended and uh, things like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it feels great. It feels great. I'm, I never want to read a table or make a spreadsheet ever again in my life. <laughs> <laughs> was this something that you auditioned for, or how did this uh, show come to you? Yeah, um, Bridget Everett, the uh, you know who the show is, you know, created for. She didn't have to audition. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> lucky her. <laughs> she uh, emailed me and said, "Would you be willing? Would you be willing to audition for my show?" And I was like. I guess, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're a fancy show on HBO. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'd be willing to audition. And, um, and I really felt like the role was written for me, but I've since found out it was not, <laughs> they didn't know who I was. Yeah. You saw, yourself. you saw a lot of yourself in Joel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm very similar to Joel and, um, and you never see a character like Joel, but I, I have a lot of friends who are also like Joel too. So, um, which is that, you know, I look how I look. I, <laughs> I am sort of obviously gay. I am uh, on the wrong side of forty, um, and uh, and I I I have never seen someone on TV who's religious and happy being religious, and it's not a joke that they're religious and they're not being persecuted by the church and they're not, um, you know, I don't know, uh, some weirdo for being involved in the church. Um, and I have a lot of friends because I grew up, I was a theology major in college and I grew up, I have a lot of friends who are pastors and um, people who uh, are good people, you know, who are focused on social justice, not on persecuting queer people or or whomever the fill in the, the oppressed group uh, of the blank. And um, I just love that I get to play that. I, I love that that person is finally being on TV because that person is totally... A real person. <laughs> you said you that Bridget Everett reached out to you um, about auditioning. Is she someone that you knew from the New York theater scene, or what was your connection relationship with her um, before you started doing the show? Yeah, exactly. We we performed 
we both performed at this place called Joe's Pub, which is um, the cabaret space at the public theater. And so we kind of vaguely knew each other from that. I mean, I always say like, we knew each other, but we weren't friends. Like, I don't think we had each other's numbers in our phones or anything like that. I think we were, <laughs> we were email acquaintances. Um, but, uh, and, and I have since found out that like a lot of other gay men over 40 auditioned for the role too. So <laughs> yeah, she reached out to a lot of people. I think she did. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, your relationship on screen with her just feels so natural and, and deep and real. So yeah, I mean, it, it feels like you, you've been close friends for a long time, but even on the show, it's kind of a reconnection, right? Because when we see, when you meet at the beginning of the, the pilot, um, I think uh, one of the really telling details is that you remember her, but she doesn't really seem to remember you. Oh God, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't realize that we went to high school together. We were in show choir together. No, I, I knew I recognized you. No, you didn't. Let's just say I brought some real authenticity to that role because that happens to me quite a bit. <laughs> it does? <laughs> less so now less so now but yes yes throughout my life absolutely i remember them and they don't remember me <laughs> yes <laughs> does that happen with famous people a lot or just anyone or sure it happens with famous people it happens with people that i went to high school with it happens to <laughs> people who were my students people who i was their student you know all of them <laughs> so you could relate to that uh that type of relationship absolutely for sure yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you feel like that informed the uh, the dynamic between the two characters uh, moving forward after that? Just well, that I love fact. what Joel says. Joel's like, it's okay. A lot of people don't remember me, which is like kind of the. Uh, I mean, really, like on the rare occasion when it's happened when I don't remember someone, it is kind of rude when people are just like, we do know each other. <laughs> you kind of have to just <laughs> let that go. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, the next time I I speak to you, I will be more memorable. But. Um, yeah, I think it I think it informs exactly what the relationship is because there is a bit of an idol worship there. I think that Joel sees uh, Sam as someone who he wants to be um you know, he he's desperate for her approval because uh she's she's someone who he idolized in high school. He's someone who um wanted he wanted to be like and he saw her talent even before anyone else did. Do you feel like that's reflected in your own uh, feelings about Bridget? I mean, what do you remember about the first time you saw her perform and how you reacted to that? Yeah. I, have you ever seen her perform live? Not live. No, oh, okay. only on only on tape. But yeah. Okay. Well, there is something about seeing her perform live that is, um, it's electrifying, it's magnetic, it's, there's a little bit of terror. <laughs> that mm -hmm. she, she might choose you to do the things yeah. too. And, yeah. um, and but there's also, it's undeniable. You cannot watch her and not just think, oh my God, you're a star. You're such a star. And um, and I absolutely had that belief. And I mean, I, I jokingly say I've been wanting to be Bridget Everett's best friend for 10 years. And, but there's some <laughs> truth to that. Like I, 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 she was... She was the cool kid at Just Bob too, you know, and, and, and you wanted to be in her orbit. You wanted to, not you, but everyone, you know. I mean, her, her talent on stage was undeniable. I mean, I didn't know that she had this acting depth in her that she displays on screen in, in somebody somewhere. I don't know if you did or, or what it's been like to witness that, um, you know, up close and personal. No, I had no idea. And from, from the fame that she had accrued already, well, being on Amy Schumer and being on 
uh, camping and, uh, you know, all these shows, I mean, patty cakes where she was just like body and raunchy and dirty. You wouldn't expect her to choose the show for herself where she has to put herself out there this much. She has to be that vulnerable. She has to be that, um, sweet or not sweet. It's, it's, it's vulnerable. That's what it is. She's not sweet at all in this. She's in, yeah. she's incredibly <laughs> raw and, uh, and I think most people would be too scared to do that. So it's really impressive that she willing to go there. Yeah. I mean, the first season of the show is a lot about the, your two characters sort of reconnecting and, and really becoming close. A lot of the second season, I don't want to, you know, spoil anything too much, but there's some, there's some tension and, you know, there's a lot of uh, difficulty in their relationship as well. Um, so what, what was that like to, to get into that and, and, and play that side of things with her? Um, it is a little stressful, especially because she is so good. She is, yeah. she, like, she always, she, she does this silly self-deprecating thing where she's like, well, as someone who's not a trained actor, um, which <laughs> I, whatever, she's a great actor. And, um, so I, I often, <laughs> there was one point where I was like, are you really mad at me? <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was so convincing that you thought maybe, maybe something was wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She just seemed genuinely hurt. <laughs> That's intense. That's not my favorite part, uh, you know, is playing. I mean, as an actor, you're like, oh, good, yeah, let's go there. Let's get to the depths. But uh, but it, it's not as fun as the, I mean, it really, it's, it's what you would expect of having fun. You know, we, we don't improvise completely off script or anything, but we're able to take the words, put them in our mouth, spitball some things here and there. And that's fun. That's electrifying. But um, But getting raw, it can be a little draining. One, two, three. Oh, I really wish tonight wasn't a designated non-drinking night. What are you talking about? We just had two DNDNs in a row. We did? Yeah, it's definitely time for a DN, unless you cheated. Joel, I would never. <laughs> okay, then. Let's go out, you know? Go downtown, take your mind off things. My friend Carla from yoga. She oh, said my God. That... Joel, you know I hate when you talk about your yoga friends. I know, but she's different. She's... Oh, stop. NMP, Joel. What's NNP? No, no, people, especially oh. somebody that can touch their nose, their twat. It's not natural. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you're talking about how the show and this character and everything really defies stereotypes in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I think it is this, in a lot of ways, somebody somewhere is this beautifully queer show that that exists sort of outside of the, you know, hate and bigotry and all these things that sort of dominate um, headlines about queer people. Right. Um and I, I, I'm wondering if you feel like, you know, I know you're not a creator of the show, but do you feel like that is deliberate? Do you feel like it's sort of more reflective of real life than what people often see and perceive? I do. I mean, yeah, I, I think that that's the whole thing is that um, I think especially right now with with trans folks um, and and, you know, even with all these like silly drag queen bills and things like that, um, they're all aimed at, at, at trans people and it's because trans people have been othered in a way that is, um, I think the word I want to look for is like ridiculous. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're turned into these like uh, uh, cartoonish evil folks. And in, in real life, if you actually meet people who are trans, you realize, oh, you're, you're just a human. You're just like yeah. me. You're also you're just like, a person. Yeah. Yeah. You're also like, oh God, I have to go to work today. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, and I think in a certain way, our show is political in that it does paint 
queer people, it, it, one of the main characters is a trans man, that it, it paints these people as people as opposed to um, a thing. Uh, um, and I think, yeah, in a, in a certain way that that's revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, I think you, there's a way to look at it where you could say, you know, is this real, really realistic that this, you know, trans man could be living in the community in the Midwest and have no problems and no, you know, and nobody's, you know, going after him. But it sounds like, you know, there is a there is an argument argument to be made that this is a a more realistic or at least more um, optimistic and and hopeful way to look at things. Yeah, and I think I think I don't think that it's painted that he has no problems whatsoever. I think that. Um, uh, and especially in the second season, there's some some issues that come up. Um, but but it's also not every trans person's life is just being murdered, you know. <laughs> um, and I also think it's important to show. Uh, I mean, I think it's important to show Murray being misgendered or what have you. But I also think it's important to show Murray having joy and and having friends. And and I think that uh, I'm saying Murray because Murray is the person who plays uh, the the trans man, but. Um, I think, uh, and, you know, I, I think that trans folks do have normal lives too. And, uh, and not even just in New York City. I think that they, um, you know, it's not as easy probably a life as if you're, uh, <laughs> idealized as the ideal person or what have you. But, um, I do think, uh, trans folks have just kind of normal lives too. Yeah, even in Manhattan, Kansas. Even in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, so I'd love to talk about you know sort of how you uh, how you came up in this business and um, you know it's sort of related to this conversation. You know, I imagine that a lot of the roles you were being offered and auditioning for early on were not quite as um, complex or nuanced as as Joel. Um, I know your one of your first uh, roles on IMDb, at least, is uh, "Gay Man" is the name <laughs> of the character. In a show called Starved. That was originally, I swear to you, this is true. And someone changed it because it used to yeah. say it on IMDb. <laughs> that was originally Gay Hooker. Oh, that's even that's even better. How did that get changed? I don't know. Someone, someone thought, thought this is too, too offensive. offensive. We, we got to change it to gay man. man. Exactly. Yeah, I played a lot of gay men. There's, I'm sure there's another one on there. <laughs> yeah, was, was that, that sort of emblematic of the the types of roles that you were uh, that you were getting early on? Sure, and I mean, I think that there's something to be said there about homophobia, and then there's also something to be said there about just paying your dues as an actor who who you know didn't. Yeah, it's not like I don't think a show is bad for having a character that. It, it, you know, you need characters that are yeah. <laughs> that are just there to make the plot move along. They can't. Uh, not all characters are going to have some. It, it would be an exhausting movie to watch a, yeah, every character have an arc. But um, uh, I do think that um, it it got to be at, where at, not even just as an actor who wanted more fame or press or whatever, but just as an artist, I kept thinking like I have I have more to give. I have more to give. I'm really good at playing I mean, the waiter. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm good at playing the waiter, but I swear to you, there's more inside of me. And um, I also realized that I'm lucky. Like there are lots of other actors in my situation who didn't get a role that allowed them to do more. And um, it's not like I'm more talented than them. It's I just happened to be there when the right role came along. That's 
it. I saw some other interview you gave where you're saying that there was a time when you sort of would have killed to play the stereotypical gay best friend. And that was, you know, more than than you were than you were getting the opportunity to play. Yeah, that would have been to play the stereotypical best friend would have been a step up from what I was playing. Because <laughs> at least the best friend has a name. Uh, you know, I was like, waiter, maitre d. That was the worst is when I got into maitre d. I was like, oh my God, I've aged out a waiter into maitre d. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there were some, some, some flight attendants, some uh, customer service uh, representatives, right? I have a joke in my stand-up that I, I've paid a flight attendant four times, and I'm sure Russell Crowe can say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, there was sort of a, a type that you, that uh, any actor can get into, you know, that thing of, of you, you play one thing and they see you as one thing and then that you keep getting cast as that thing. So what was the, what was the thing that you felt like you were, what was the box that, that you were put in, in those early years? Bitchy customer service representative. <laughs> I, I was the person who, who was like, I'm sorry, you don't have a reservation, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel like that was, a uh, far from who you really are. I mean, you're so uh, you're so kind and sweet and likable as as Joel on this show. So I it's hard conflict. to imagine you. Yeah, <laughs> really? I'm terrified of conflict. It's like all I talk about in therapy. And I live in New York, so it's real hard. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, it's, you know, you, you find a niche, you play it. Somebody once told me that Ruth Buzzy, um, that, <laughs> that Ruth Buzzy got hired on That Girl and it was called what? Uh, uh, her character name was like Ugly Woman. And Marlo <laughs> Thomas was like, this is offensive. We need to change this character. I'm not going to Ruth and saying, you don't play Ugly Woman. And Ruth Buzzy was like, leave it. That's a niche. The next time they need an ugly broad, I'll play it. <laughs> there you so, go. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of come down on that where it's like, I need the work. I'll, I'll take anything. And then like, there were a few times when the joke was just saying aren't I laughable because I'm gay? That felt a little gross. But, you know, mama needed health insurance. Coming up, Jeff takes us back to his early days as a sketch and improv comedian, and what it was like to see his own students at UCB become famous before him. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our episode from last year with Somebody Somewhere star Bridget Everett, along with everything else from our free archive. 
and you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Jeff Hiller. I know uh, you ended up at um, doing stuff at Upright Citizens Brigade pretty early on. Um, what was it? What was it like for you? You know, entering that world. Um, you know, I think I saw somewhere it was like 2001 or something that you that you started there. Um, what was what was UCB like at that time, and what was it? What was it like for you uh, going into it? Um, it was great going into it. I I I am so grateful for it. It it was like a it just made sense. It was like you you pay money and you take a class, <laughs> and then eventually you, you can audition and you can be on stage. And a lot of other people have since like like in the in the twenty five years or whatever have said like uh, you know it's a pyramid scheme or it's a it's a cult and I get that, but for me, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about how to break into the business, and I desperately wanted to be a performer. And it it, it was easy. It was easy to see how to do it. Um, yeah, it was a way in. Yeah, and there are definitely things that to be said about you know it was definitely a culture where like it was male focused, cisgendered focused, straight focused, white focused, white 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 focused um, that are real points that should be addressed. But at the same time, it, it it was the only way I I knew how to perform. And, you know, in 2001, it was way different than it was even in 2004. It was like people started getting commercials. When I started, no one no one was famous. Amy Poehler wasn't even on SNL yet. Um, and even when she got on very quickly after I started, it was like, well, yeah, she's the grown-up, you know? <laughs> she started the place. <laughs> yeah, It makes yeah. sense she's on if it. If anyone's going to be on, yeah, yeah, it should be her. <laughs> exactly. But then, you know, like Paul Shear and Rob Hubel started having their careers blow up. And then, um, you know, like, uh, then you started getting jealous like, and stressed when, when people who were generations after you were starting to become famous. And, um, and you know, that, that democracy of... I take a class and then I get to perform. <laughs> it was taken away by Hollywood. Yeah, at a, at a certain point, that's yeah, it doesn't work like that anymore. <laughs> it's exactly, and you know there are people who are very talented, and and it's not like I think they shouldn't have made it. Um, but you, you start to feel like, what about me? What about me? And uh, which is, by the way, not helpful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and if the one thing you should ever learn about the entertainment business is it's not fair. <laughs> and there's no, um, there's no system of <laughs> fairness about it either. Yeah. You, you started teaching there at a certain point too. What, what was that like to start teaching people? And then of course you have that experience, like you're saying of your students going on to big things and you're like, wait a minute, that was my student. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, I loved teaching. I mean, there were some days where I was like, oh, God, I don't want to teach. But <laughs> but uh, I love teaching. Teaching was way better than, uh, you know, temping or, or waiting tables. Um, and, and I liked uh, being there. But I think, and, you know, this is my own issue that I needed to work through. And, um, but it's also a really common issue is that uh, you did start to feel like, wait a minute, you cut it, in, you cut it in line. <laughs> how, are, how do you already have a show? Um, but, but also, you know, it would be like, well, what am I going to say? Ilana Glazer and Abby Jacobs have made an incredible show. It's really funny. 
I really like it, you know? Oh, Darcy Carden is on Barry? How dare she? Be so good. Oh, God, she's really funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Aubrey Plaza? Why does Aubrey Plaza... Oh, God, April Ledgate's the best. You know, it's it's great. Yeah, that's what happens. Um, you mentioned SNL. Was that an aspiration for you at any point? And what, did you did you ever get close or audition or, or anything like that? Yes, I um, I did two showcases for SNL because I was pretty, you know, high up in the UCB. By that, I just mean I I was on their house teams for a very long time, and, and so you'd, yeah, you'd been around. Yeah, you get you get invited to do these showcases. Actually, it's so funny that you're I'm I'm reading a lot of memoirs because I'm I'm writing a memoir, <laughs> so I'm reading I'm reading all these memoirs, and um, I read. Ellie Kempers just recently. And she talks about one of the showcases I did for SNL and she was in it as well. And I, I chose super bad ideas. I, I chose, <laughs> um, I, my, my impression was uh, Fred Schneider, the lead singer of the B-52s. I mean, this is not <laughs> someone who's like finger on the pulse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it made no sense. You know, other people were doing like, it was 2008. So other people were like, I'm John McCain. And I'm like, yeah. I'm Fred, I'm Fred Schneider. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so. That didn't uh, go over well. I did not get, I did not get the call. You know, then you read in Ellie's book and she's like, they called me the 30 rock. And I'm like, oh, that did, yeah, that no. was, okay. That's where our paths <laughs> diverge. <laughs> yeah. And she didn't get it either. <laughs> she didn't get it either. It's true. <laughs> Do you feel like there was a moment where you got that first big break or something that you felt like, uh, you know, was was really exciting that you felt like you you might be able to be making a career out of it? Well, very early on, I, I became a I don't know what you call it, a pranker on um, <laughs> on a prank show uh, called Boiling Points, where you had to, like, make people mad and if they, as a as a conflict averse person, that must have been uh, that must have been scary. It was the worst. I just had to. We had a little earwig where a producer was telling us what to do, and I just had to, to switch my mind and be like, well, the the conflict that I'm avoiding is with the producer in my ear, <laughs> so I just have to please them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's a good trick. <laughs> yeah, but then I got I got a movie, and it was a big budget movie, and it was called Ghost Town, and it ended up like. It's one of those things where like if it had, I had basically the same size role as Rebel Wilson had in um, uh, Bridesmaids, but Ghost Town was not a hit and Bridesmaids was a, a mammoth takeoff hit. And I often, <laughs> yeah. I then I would drive myself crazy and be like, if I had just gotten Bridesmaids instead of Ghost Town, <laughs> there's just no way to. But yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> So one, I mean, one thing that you did a lot of over the years was uh, sitcom guest roles, um, which you, you know, you got a lot of those. I would love to kind of run through some of these shows and just see if there's a, a memory or, or something that what what sort of the first thing that comes to mind is, because um, you've been in, in so many great ones, um, starting with uh, Ugly Betty, I believe was one of the one of the early ones. Do you have any memories that stand out from that experience? Well, yes. One, RuPaul was on that episode. And um, I'm wearing a hat that was RuPaul's that they were like, oh, he's not going to wear it in this episode, so we're going to put it on you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was very exciting. I didn't meet RuPaul. I did eventually meet RuPaul, but I didn't meet, yeah. I didn't meet him there. But you um, met RuPaul's hat. I met RuPaul's hat. 
Exactly. That's fun. You were on 30 Rock. Uh, is it true that you played two different characters at two different times on 30 Rock? Is that accurate? That is accurate, yeah. Is yeah. that is that what? some sort of trivia? Do I... <laughs> uh, it should be. I don't know. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere on IMDb, they should put that. <laughs> yeah. What were the characters you played on 30 Rock, and and what do you remember from that experience? Um, I, I love Tina Fey. When I moved to New York, Tina Fey was doing Weekend Update, and... The, the weekend update that she did with Jimmy Fallon was just so like, it felt so fresh and so new to me. And it really was like, I had just decided I'm going to try and be a comedian. And so, uh, you know, there are no gay comedians to look up to or, or not, and there are, there are totally tons of amazing gay comedians, but I just- But not enough. Uh, yeah, not enough. And so I I chose Tina. And um, so I, I auditioned for Kenneth the Page um, and got a callback, and I met her at the callback. And everyone knew that role is clearly written for Jack McBrayer. They were just testing people to be like... Just to see. Yeah. Basically to be like, to show the network and be like, see how bad this guy does it? Jack <laughs> is the way to go. Um, but she was so nice to me in that. And she was like, don't worry, we'll get John, we'll get John. And we, I didn't get on the first season, and there was like this big thing about like, will 30 Rock be renewed? And I was like, I didn't get on. I didn't get on to the third season. <laughs> but it was great. I loved it. I loved it. I, it was the Thursday before she did Sarah Palin on SNL, and she was talking about, I don't know if I should do it. And Alec was like, you got to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then she also told me that she had either just done, I think they had just done a scene with Oprah. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Another great show, uh, Community. Um, what do you, what, what stands out from that one? Um, that was so exciting because I had just moved to LA and a friend of mine was a writer on the show and recommended me to audition and I actually got it. And I thought, oh, that's it. I've been here for two weeks and I already got a show. Chris Cooley got me <laughs> on Community. This is it. And, uh, and then I didn't work for probably nine months. <laughs> but I loved being there. I remember it was one of those weird things where, I don't know why this was, but we were shooting overnight. Or maybe it was just like the hours had gone late. And I mean, it's just the tiniest little scene, but it took forever to shoot. And I remember like, it felt like we were inside during the day. And I walked out and it was like pitch black at like 1 a.m. And I was like, Wow, this is so Hollywood. <laughs> also, the cast was super busy, so we would often be performing to their stand-ins who looked zero like them. <laughs> <laughs> That's awkward. It really was. <laughs> um, you got to uh, show off your uh, musical skills on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, that's sort of a, a bigger role where you got to really perform in, in a big way. What was, what was that one like? Uh, that one felt like a... A really big gift from Rachel Bloom, who was one of those uh, people who, you know, who I felt like <laughs> skipped me in the line. And then I watched her show and I was like, oh, my God, this show's so wonderful. And uh, I, I wrote her an email just saying, like, your show is so good. Truly not being like, put me on it, but truly just because that show is so good. And uh, like the next day, I got a a request for a self-tape. And this is pre-doing self-tapes, but I was living in New York at the time. And um, so she kindly let me audition and then and then I got it. And so I, I flew out. <laughs> yeah. I did flew you have out. to sing? Do you have to sing on the self-tape? Yes, you did. You did. But they they nicely said you don't have to have an accompaniment. 
<laughs> you can just do it a cappella because that's that's nice. That's the hard thing is like finding the the play the piano player and getting the. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> you could just choose your own key when you're doing it by yourself. <laughs> it's a text emergency. Um, you mentioned Abby and Alana, and and they put you in in Broad City too, right? Yes, they did, and and I think that might have been one of my first ever offers. I just got an offer to do it, and it was very nice because Abby. I remember one time Abby. I mean, I take no credit for their success whatsoever, but Abby one time took me out to coffee and was like, "How do I how do I get onto a Herald team? That's what they call the house teams at UCB." And, and I was like, aren't you doing a web series? Just focus on doing your own thing. You don't need this. Oh, so, that's good advice. Yeah, it was. I mean, she was already doing it. She didn't need me yeah. to say that. But yes, it was. They should have given you're me like, that part. <laughs> you're like, I, I know what you should do. You should team up with Alana Glazer and make a show called oh, Broad that's... City. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then back to Tina Fey, uh, you were in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, um, another uh, another of uh, her shows uh, for Netflix. Um what about that one? You were re- reunited with with that team. Yes, and uh, and I know Ellie too, uh, and I had worked with Jane before as well. And weirdly, my friend Anthony Atamanek, who plays Donald Trump in a very yeah. smart, I funny love way, Anthony, yeah, he played Donald Trump in that episode of Kimmy in that Schmidt. episode. Yeah, so oh. I knew the whole cast going in. It was great. That was uh, before the president show. Yeah. Was it? It must have been, right? I think, yeah. It must have been. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, I think it, I think it must have been, yeah. But uh, I loved working on Kimmy Schmidt, and I was like the last-minute replacement because I was playing Donna Linda's assistant, and um, somebody else had done that role in a previous episode, but he was on tour. Actually, I'm just realizing that was a guy named Preston, and he was in play that I did with Jane Krakowski. Anyway, long story longer, he couldn't do it, so they brought me in. <laughs> And his name was some, like, two names put together. It was like, it was like, uh, it wasn't this, but like, it would have been like Brad Tefer or something like that. And so they changed, they made my name Tomothy. Yeah, Tomothy. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, it did occur to me that Tina Fey's style and those shows, 30 Rock and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, is all about the the speed of jokes and it's like very fast paced and it's just about as far away from somebody somewhere I think as you could get, which has this <laughs> very, very sort of like laid back, you know, know, not like jokey jokes. Um, do you feel like, you know, do you have a do you have a preference between the two styles or what is it like to sort of go back and forth between those those two modes of of working? Um, I I mean I I like change I like variety so that that feels great. Um, what I loved I mean I love all of the jokes. And like, I can't tell you how many jokes are cut from 30 Rock, like that you're like, right. oh, yeah. that one was so good. I can't believe they do, they cut it. Uh, and there are a lot, actually, it's it's also true of of Somebody Somewhere that there's a ton cut. But the difference is, is that with Somebody Somewhere, they have this thing where they're like, that sounds like a TV show joke, cut that. And sometimes, sometimes they're like, I know it sounds like a TV show joke, but we're on a TV show and not just yeah, something really funny. funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the worst is when it gets cut as a TV show joke, but you just improvised it. That's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like 
this experience of being on somebody somewhere has changed things for you, you know, open doors for your career. Do you, do you feel that yet? Oh, or, or how has that impacted things for you? Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, I'm, you know, Pedro Pascal or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I can walk down the street, you know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I, I, I feel like, you know, like my manager had sort of given up on me and I, now I have a new manager that's excited about me. And I just sort of thought like, okay, it's back to just doing off-Broadway shows and and guest stars occasionally, and hopefully I can get enough health insurance. Because, you know, I, I was 44 when I got this part, so it really felt like it's probably not going to happen. I remember on my 40th birthday, I looked up like actors who got famous after 40, and there was this article about like actors who made it later in life. And so many of the, I remember it was like, Naomi Watts didn't get Mulholland Drive until she was 31. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm 40. So I, it just feels like I'm able to have a career. You know, you would, you're not going to want me on your podcast when I'm, you know, the waiter. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, it's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're so fantastic in the show and yeah, it seems like you are getting the opportunity to do, you know, more stuff. You've been uh, working with Ryan Murphy a little bit, right? Yeah. I think that was, I mean, that's a direct line to somebody somewhere. Yeah. I am. I'm a, I'm a Ryan Murphy universe person. What do you call him? Yeah. <laughs> RMU. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I mean, now that you, now that you have, you know, this, this opportunity to do, you know, more things, are there dream projects or things that you really want to do that you feel like you haven't been able to, that you might be able to make happen now? Yeah. You know, I'm a writer too. So I'm trying to develop a TV show. Um, and you know, still, I'm still a needy actor. So I'm, I'm writing a rule for myself, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but I just, the dream would be to do lots of new, cool, interesting things, parts in movies and parts on Broadway, parts of, you know, I'd love to just be in interesting roles. And you know, that whole thing where they're like, do you want to play straight? Like, I don't care if I don't ever play straight. I'm, just give me lots of interesting gay characters because there are lots of types out there. I'd like to see them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's, yeah, I mean, and for, for a long time, it was all those roles were going to straight actors. So maybe that's starting to change as well. Let's hope. <laughs> I don't know if uh, if there you know it's too early to ask or if there's been any talk about it. Is there a possibility of of more somebody somewhere? Is there um, a third season uh, on the horizon? No word yet, but there's not a single person involved that doesn't desperately want a season three. So that's the hope. That's the really big hope. I know it's like a small show that is not um, loud, so uh, it, it might be too quiet. But if there's even a tiny peep in us, I hope they give us a season three. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say, I hope there's a season three as well. But um, I would also say that fans of the show will be very satisfied with the ending of season two, if if that were the end. It felt very celebratory. Oh, well, good. Good. So, so either way, I think it's a win. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, so we end this podcast with a segment called The First Laugh. So I'm going to ask you a few questions um, about some firsts in your in your career around comedy. Um, but going all the way back to childhood, do you remember the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid? I totally do. It was, um, well, one, the movie Top Secret, <laughs> which is so stupid, but so funny. And two, Rita Moreno singing Fever with Animal on The Muppet Show. I was like... 
it's all about the timing, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember the first time that you knew that you were funny, that you could make other people laugh? Oh, maybe when I was like 25. <laughs> oh, yeah? Took a while? <laughs> took a while, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't go to this improv team audition because I wanted to be on the improv team. I went because my friend Katie thought maybe it might be a cult. So I went and I was like, oh my God, I'm good at this. That was the first time. <laughs> um, what about the first time that you actually performed uh, improv, you know, on stage with a group? Um, do you have memories of that? Yes, it was at Armida's Mexican restaurant on Broadway in Denver, Colorado. And the house was maybe, it was a, I mean, it was a restaurant. <laughs> so there was like... <laughs> People there was some eating going yeah, on, yeah. People eating nachos and stuff. Margaritas, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, please, have more margaritas. We'll be funnier. Um, and uh, it was short-form improv, and that crowd was maybe 50% people I knew intimately. <laughs> yeah, that helps, I think. Exactly. And uh, it was great. It was like, really, I was like, that was kind of the moment I realized, like, oh, I think I'm funny. I think I'm good at this. We talked a little bit about auditions, um, but I'm always I always love hearing audition stories. Do you have any you know stories from your career of auditioning that really stand out for either you know <laughs> Good not, not going the way that you would have uh, <laughs> wanted or or maybe going great? Uh, just something that comes to mind. Um, you know, my first audition back in person post pandemic was for this musical that's on Broadway now called Shucked, and um, and there was a dance call which. The moment that they have a dance call, you should just be like, it's not, it's not, yeah. I'm not sure. Not for this you. Not yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I went to this dance call and they were like, it's not a problem. You know, she's British, of course. It's not a problem. We're not looking for, you know, perfect dancers. I want personality. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so I just remember there was like a lot of getting down onto the floor and then getting back up off of the floor. <laughs> and at one point I was still getting up from one of the going downs when everyone else had gone back down. <laughs> I mean, you're quite tall, so it probably takes you a little bit longer than everybody else. Thank you. And then I, uh, by the end of it, um, I was sweating so hard. <laughs> I could not see out of my eyes because I was sweating so hard and they cut me. <laughs> yeah. You didn't, uh, you didn't, you didn't book that one. Rightly so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but the worst part is normally I'm like, okay, I'm pretty bad at the dancing, but I can, I can do the singing and the acting. And then I messed up my song and then I messed up the lines. I was like, oh God, if I mess up the lines, it's like, What's the point? It's over. Yeah. Do you do you remember uh, the first time you met one of your comedy heroes? Just somebody who you really looked up to in the comedy world, and and what it was like to meet them for the first time? I mean, I, it was it was probably Tina Fey, um, and uh, it was it was not one of those don't meet your heroes things. It was like, oh, she's so cool. She's she kind of reminds me of my sister. She's. I mean, I guess basically because they wear glasses. I don't know. That's not, <laughs> not really alike at all. But uh, she just she just felt like um, someone solid and smart. And um, she remembered me, un unlike most folks. So uh, that felt oh, really that's nice. nice. Yeah. Finally, is there a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now, but really was not funny when it happened? Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean... There's a long, long list. <laughs> um, Any come to mind? 
you know, on that show Starved, um, they, I, it's, it's a long, long story, but I was playing a hooker, giving a oral sex to a man in a, a bathroom stall. And, but the real action was happening in the stall next door. So they ended up, they didn't even show any of the stuff that they filmed of us, but they had me come in and <laughs> I was supposed to do a line. It was a weird show. I don't know what this show was about, but like there was a, there was a guy I vomiting. Gotta, yeah. I don't remember this show, I have to tell you. It, I think it was about eating disorders, but I didn't have cables, so I never watched it. <laughs> <laughs> but I also knew that I was being cut out and you only heard my voice. And um, I, the guy was vomiting and I was giving oral sex. And so my line was, that's just wrong. And I went to the recording studio to record it. And the guy was like, I think they want it pretty flamboyant. <laughs> and uh which i'm like of course and so i i just as a joke like g- genuinely just as a joke i was like how about this oh that's just wrong and he was like great thank you we got it thank you so yeah, much perfect <laughs> and they used that take i felt like i set my people back 40 years <laughs> as, then, as gay hooker i also was like oh i hope the gay hooker comes back you know <laughs> yeah 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 it could be recurring i don't know maybe maybe as it turns out, no. <laughs> Even the show didn't recur. <laughs> yeah, one and done for the best, I think. <laughs> I think you might be right. <laughs> yeah, you've gone on to bigger and better things. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for doing this. And yeah, as I said, I, I think you're so fantastic on on somebody somewhere. Thank and you. um it's such a beautiful show. And I hope that that more people catch, catch up, up and watch, watch it, it and that it, it goes on and and uh yeah thank you so much for for talking with me today and good luck with kimmel i'll be watching and i hope it goes well okay me too <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you so much to jeff hiller for being my guest on this week's show the first episode of somebody somewhere's second season is streaming now on hbo max and new episodes air Sunday nights at 10.30 p.m. on HBO after Succession and Barry. It might just be the perfect way to calm yourself after watching those two shows. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.